for some reason, people think about money differently than they think about anything else in the world, yet it's energy just like anything else. Namaste and welcome. I'm Vettina Blumenthal and you're listening to the Soul Compass Podcast. I'm here to help you find your inner calm and deepen your self-discovery journey. Take this moment and focus on yourself. For your mental health, your ability to find ease in your everyday life, and your emotional well-being. It is so important that you nourish yourself not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally. Here at Soul Compass, you'll learn practical tips from experts who will leave you with a sharper focus and a renewed commitment to yourself. Do you ever struggle with your relationship with money and finances? Letting fear, the idea of lack, control your decisions? Or maybe you get the thought that peeps in that you'll be happy when you have X amount of money. Often when you're serving from a place of love, starting a heart-centered business, and going after your purpose, your relationship with money can be challenged. Today I'm here with a professional manifester. Well, that's what the title I'm giving him. He's a prosperity coach and the best-selling author of Mindful Money Management, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager. He works closely with his clients to help identify and overcome the roadblocks standing in their way of personal financial freedom. Financial freedom is something that looks so different to each person. During his years as a successful portfolio manager, his initial dream that was planted back in the 1990s was to start his own hedge fund. This manifested itself in 2012. In 2016, he shut it down to pursue his current dream. This incredible being is committed to helping over 100,000 people become financially free. Today, we'll go over what's getting in the way of reaching the abundance you envision. Two key ingredients when creating your financial plans, the misconception of manifesting, and a practical exercise that will help you get clearer on your financial beliefs. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, this lovely human is offering a very generous giveaway to our listeners. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Joel Solomon. When I think of the finance world, Joel, I often think of it being so left field, especially compared to spirituality, maybe not so much self-development in that world. But I think what's really interesting about what you're doing is combining both worlds, which is what we're really about here at Soul Compass, is combining these Eastern mindfulness practices into the reality of our Western culture. In your journey, what made you shift to really focus and hone in in the mindfulness space to get to where you are today? Sure, Bettina. And first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm really grateful for you for letting me share my message to the world. So thank you for that. First of all, I did want to say, and I'd like to start every conversation I have with how I am so grateful for my daughters. I am a very proud father of two beautiful, caring, thoughtful, affectionate, 
powerful manifestors, uh, Lauren and Morgan. And my company is actually named after them. It's Sal Lore Moore for Lauren and Morgan. I feel like they were born yesterday, but they're now 13 and 15. And they have shown me what unconditional love is. That has been an important part of my journey as well. And I think love, it's a pithy saying, but love does conquer all. I come from a, a sense and a point of view of love. So to answer your question, I have had a lot of things on my journey that have gotten me to where I am today. But one particular event that happened did really change my life. And that was in December 2015, I was at a personal development conference while I was managing my own hedge fund. And for listeners, a hedge fund, basically I was managing money in stocks and betting that some stocks were gonna go up and other stocks were gonna go down so that if the stock market went up or down, we could make money. And, and we actually did make money uh, in 2008 when the stock market was down 40%, financial stocks were down 57%, and I was only managing financial stocks. So we were up a few percent that year. And my former colleagues tell me that's my, one of my claims to fame. So anyway, so I'm working as a hedge fund manager, and it's all about the analysis and the logic, that part of the brain. Two things happened at that conference that, that really did change my life. One was we had a guest speaker speaking about stocks and stock options. And the conference was really about how to get my hedge fund to the next level. It was all about how to improve your communication, how to be a better employer, how to be better to your employees, all about communication. So this was a complete kind of aside where this guy came in. and. When he talked about stock options in particular, he made it sound like it was a get-rich-quick scheme. You don't need much time. You don't need much money. This is how the rich people get rich, and options are essentially riskless. And this was day two of the conference. I had people tap me on the shoulder, whisper in my ear because they knew I was a hedge fund manager, asking me, is this true? Is this reality? And I said, no, please don't do this, but we'll talk afterwards. So after he was finished, we went outside and I said, he has no idea about your cash flow, earnings, assets, and most importantly, has no idea about your belief systems around stock options. And we can get into beliefs in a little bit. But that is what's really critical. And the second thing that happened at that conference was we were given a wooden board about two and a half inches thick. And we were told that we had to break this wooden board with our bare hands. On one side of the board, we had to write our biggest obstacle, and the other side of the board, we had to write our ultimate goal. So the exercise was called Obstacles or Illusions. And so there are 200 people in the room, we all broke the board, but on one side of the board, I wrote my biggest obstacle was raising enough money for Salomore Capital, my hedge fund. But on the other side of the board, I wrote my ultimate goal in green was to help at least 100,000 people become financially free, including the people in that room. I broke that board. I went home that night and I realized it was a non sequitur. What did helping my hedge fund raise more money have anything to do with helping these people in this room and all the people I wanted to help? 
And then I also realized that I could be more authentic if I had a, ever got up the courage to speak in front of people, because I had at the time a big fear of public speaking, I could do a much better job than that guy who was at the very least being misleading, but one could say he was actually lying to all the people in the room. So I literally went into my office the next morning. I sent an email to my investors telling them, I'm giving them their money back. I'm shutting down my fund. I found out my true purpose of life. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm a prosperity coach. And my goal is to help at least 100,000 people become financially free by teaching them not only the basics of personal finance and investing, but also teaching them the most important thing, that their beliefs and their faith in what they want in life get them what they want. And I talked to them about energy and vibration, intuition, and all the things that you know very well about, but I apply them to money. And for some reason, people think about money differently than they think about anything else in the world, yet it's energy just like anything else. It's so true. And, you know, many of our listeners are creators, entrepreneurs, and heart-centered business owners, or whatever they're doing, they're running from a heart-centered place. I think this is the trail of where you were getting at is that there's always a conflict with finances when you're doing something from a heart-centered place because, you know, you're doing it for a larger, bigger picture. But in our Western culture, we need money to survive, especially if we're in New York or in Toronto or in a big city that we love. It's on a number one place to live for us. But we need that those finances to survive in this culture. And I'm really just curious to know how you're helping people because I, I know I struggle with this too and finding my worthiness and my worth for that financial exchange. And I'm just curious to know your process through this journey and how people that are running heart-centered businesses, how can they be more successful when building their business or their passion? Well, I come at it from a point of view of service. Most of my life, I've had this negative attribute attached to sales. And everything I believe is either a limiting belief or an empowering belief. So there may have been some experiences early in my life that caused me to have limiting beliefs around sales. But when I started my hedge fund, I knew that at the time it was my dream job. I knew it was my purpose at the time. And I had this dream for 15 years. And so when I got to a position where I could do it, Nothing was going to stop me. So there was no way I was going to give up. And I came at it from a point of view of I'm helping people. I can help people by doing this. And that's where I am right now. So I come at it from a point of view of I'm coaching you so that I can help you become financially free. So I'm giving you the knowledge and the wherewithal to do it yourself. And that's actually a chapter in my upcoming book, The Nine Money Rules That Millionaires Use. And rule number eight is DIY investing. I was going to call it fourth grade education because that's all you really need. You need to be able to multiply, divide, add, and subtract to be able to invest. And all of a sudden, people, they have a blank stare on their face when you start talking about investing if they haven't learned about it. But it's basically all you need is a fourth grade education and you can do it yourself. For me, I want to teach people that 
maybe too strong a word, but I, I think it's provocative. They've been lied to by the institutions that have trillions of dollars of their money and for a purpose to make money for themselves and they're not working for you. I teach people that you can do it yourself. I empower people. And by being of service to others, it, it really makes me feel good by doing good for others. And that's such a key thing that I personally have learned along this journey too when I've gotten out of my own way and the essence of creating a business is to be of service to others whether you're dyeing someone's hair doing someone's nails to you know being a prosperity coach and and everything else in between and you're really there to help to help serve people and I'm just curious because investments can be very very scary if we need only a fourth grade education for this. What are things to avoid when looking to make those financial decisions? Well, again, I think it's back to beliefs and faith. I tell the story about two guys who bought Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. I'm sure many of your viewers and listeners will know about it. I've been explained what Bitcoin, like what Bitcoin means so many times, but I'm such a visual person until someone draws it for me. <laughs> I don't know if I'll fully get it. It's a non-material currency. Anyway, the story is two guys buy Bitcoin, November 27, 2017. And on this day, Bitcoin is at 8,000. And the first guy has done his, all his research. He's read the white papers. He knows he's going to make money on Bitcoin. So I asked my clients to write down on a scale from one to 10, where one is massive doubt. Oh my God, there's no way I'm going to make money on Bitcoin. And 10 is absolute faith. There's a knowing that you're going to make money. So this guy's a 10. He has absolute faith. He knows he's going to make money. Now the second guy, he's got a tip from a buddy of his. It says, dude, you got to get involved. It's up eight times already this year, and it's November 27th. It's going higher. Get involved. So I don't know. It seems risky. It seems speculative. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Now, he's a one. Now, a few days later, Bitcoin goes from 8,000 to 10,000. And the first guy says, see, I told you where I was going to make money on Bitcoin. The second guy says, oh, I hope it doesn't go back down. And a few days later, Bitcoin's back down at 8,000. Now the first guy says, this is the best buying opportunity out there. And he buys more. The second guy, he sells. He is so grateful he didn't lose money on Bitcoin. And three weeks later, Bitcoin's at $19,500. The first guy has made over 250% on his money in one month, two and a half times his money. And he sells them. So the point of the story is no one does this with investments. But I tell my clients to write down the level of belief in every single investment they own and every single investment they're thinking about owning, whether it's a stock, a bond, real estate, a cryptocurrency, or a commodity, or whatever it is. Because if you're not an 8, 9, or 10, if you don't have a strong belief, you're going to have doubt and you're going to be making wrong decisions when. You should be buying, you sell. When you should be selling, you buy. And so it all comes down to belief. And belief is just the thought that you tell yourself over and over again. I had a client come to me and say, the stock market's risky. 
Well, that's your belief. And I will tell you, I personally made a ton of money in the stock market. So do I believe that stock market's risky? No, because I know there are lucrative opportunities that come my way every day. Until I get her to change her belief around the stock market, I won't even talk to her about what the mechanics are of the stock market. We'll talk about real estate or other types of investments. So belief is critical. It sounds like maybe from person one and person two in the Bitcoin example, it might be their relationship around money. And it sounded like there's almost like a sense of lack and fear of not having enough, which is a struggle for a lot of people. And and I'm not sure if you've noticed that in the people that I'm sure you've worked with. How do you coach people around their relationship with money? Because I think that's a huge struggle for many people. And especially when you're starting a business and you are a startup and maybe you're bootstrapping your business and you're not looking at actually for investor money. How do you go around talking someone through that? So a few things. One, I have a survey that I ask people to fill out before they, they come to me and we actually do a session. And it's called my financial freedom survey. And there's three parts to it. But the most important part to this part of the conversation is the questions around your subconscious beliefs around money. And some people have called me the money shrink because I get into your thoughts, your fears around money. So what are your beliefs around money currently? And what are your subconscious beliefs that were taught to you? Because we were all taught about money growing up. Now, I have actually had sit downs with my daughters, but I'm pretty sure 99 plus percent of the world has not done that. And so you learn by observing when you're two, three, four, five, six. I ask my clients, what are your first money memory? What do you remember your first gift or you're in Toys R Us? 30 years ago, and your mom says, we can't afford that. That's too expensive, right? So that may be ingrained in you. You may have heard that 5, 10, 100 times. So now your focus is of lack. As opposed to knowing, I give this metaphor that a lot of people go to the ocean with a thimble that has holes in it, as opposed to going to the ocean with barrels or buckets. And it's the same thing with money. Money is almost infinite, right? But we have this subconscious belief that we were taught growing up about lack. There's never going to be enough. We can't afford that. As opposed to what I tell my daughters, it's not a priority right now. We can afford it. You know, my oldest daughter wanted a sweatshirt that was a little expensive, quote unquote. Let's save up for it. It's not a priority this second as opposed to we can't afford that, that's too expensive. And you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Actually it does, it's made of paper, so it does grow on trees. And I have this quote in, in my upcoming book as well, uh, The Nine Money Rules That Millionaires Use. I say, if you gave every person on earth, all 7.5 billion people a million dollars, that's equal to the net worth of the world, right? So everyone could be a millionaire. And money's almost created every day by ideas. Idea creates a thought, creates a thing, and then it becomes into physical reality. So we talk about subconscious beliefs, right? The other thing I wanted to mention is, okay, so you're a startup, and I started my own hedge fund, and now I started Prosperity Coaching. 
how do you deal with the fact that you don't have the millions of dollars for your funding or the hundreds of thousands of dollars or the tens of thousands of dollars? So here's my story when I started my hedge fund. I had two companies that had orally agreed to give me money. And this was in the fall of 2012. And I was all set. I hired a lawyer, an accountant, a fund administrator, a compliance person. I had even been all set to hire an analyst. And I was about to move into commercial real estate space in midtown Manhattan. In fact, I did move into that space on December 17, 2012. And within days of having that happen, both investors backed out. I was basically sending them the agreements and they said, no, we're not interested anymore. So I had committed to lawyers and accountants and auditors and this prime real estate space on 54th and Madison Avenue in Manhattan and I had no money coming in and I had no investors and I had no pipeline because I was had these two investors. Now, I already mentioned that this was my dream for the last 15 years. So on a level of belief from one to 10, I knew I was a 10, that this was happening. But what did I do? I acted as if. And this is another chapter and rule in my upcoming book. It's called Creative Visualization. And creative visualization and acting as if, what did I do? So I acted as if we already had the money. I hired the analyst that I was going to hire anyway. And in January of 2013, we had a call, if I wasn't in the office, or we had a conversation, if I was, to discuss our investments as if we were already invested. And we went out to conferences and we met with the companies that we were invested in. And we did something even more crazy, or I did. I put together a spreadsheet and I calculated our performance as if we were already invested in all these stocks. And I would say to my colleague, Sean, I'd say, Sean, we had a terrible day today. we got to do better tomorrow. What are we going to move around to make it tomorrow a better day? Or, Sean, we had a great day today. Keep it up. And we acted as if we were already invested. And then on January 25th, we had a great meeting with a potential investor. And within 90 days, we had a signed written agreement from that investor and my hedge fund was up running less than two months after that. And I truly believe by acting as if we had the money, we got the money. The other thing I did was I visualized. So I visualized not only by calculating the spreadsheet, but I actually visualized going in the morning and, and rushing in to check you know, stock prices and making sure I had all the information. So I acted as if and visualized. And I think that's critical when you're starting up your new business to have confidence and belief that it's going to come to fruition and you're going to have the number of clients, the business to scale so that it is generating cash flow. Yes. And I wanted to point this out because you visualized, which is so important. But I'm not sure if you have ever read The Secret. It was a way into spirituality and manifestation. But the beauty of what you're saying is you are visualizing, but you are actually 
making steps towards whatever that was that you were visualizing. You weren't just putting it on a board and trying to manifest it and not actually taking active steps. I have a funny story and I'll just share it quickly. I had a friend whose boyfriend had read The Secret and he ended up quitting his job that he didn't like. And he's like, I'm just going to stay at home today and visualize my dream life. And he just sat at home, he quit his job to sit at home and visualize and not do anything. And it cracks me up because, you know, I can see where the conflict might have been when making that decision. But I wanted to emphasize that you are visualizing, but taking those steps. And those are so necessary, like using your willpower, that strength inside of you, along with that visualization, that is often where that like the trust is met too. So... I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) Perfect, because chapter six in the nine money rules that millionaires use talks exactly about that. There is this misconception that you can just sit at home and visualize all day and meditate and act as if and things will come to you. No, you actually have to get out into the world. And in Mike Dooley's best-selling book, Infinite Possibilities, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a a a certified infinite possibilities trainer, I believe it's chapter four where it's called taking action. And I didn't say earlier in my story about raising the money that I took a fair amount of action. I was on the phone every day calling insurance companies. I was going to networking events. I was getting out into the world to do things. Yes, acting as if, was critical, but I didn't just sit at home. I went to those conferences. I I pounded those phones and I I gave this whole story in my first book, Mindful Money Management, and how it actually happened. This was chapter two, Mindful Money Management, my dream job or is it? But let me tell you a little bit more about The Secret. I read The Secret in February, 2008, and it talked about this guy who thought about this feather. Every morning, He woke up, he thought about the feather, and every night before he went to sleep, he thought about the feather, day after day. And then one day, he's walking down the street, and he sees the exact feather he imagined in his mind. And then it said, you try. So I did. February 2008, I started thinking about pure white cotton balls. That was the first thing that popped into my head after they said, you try. And I don't know why, pure white cotton balls, you know, like you get in your medicine, whatever. So every morning I woke up, thought about combos. Every night before I went to sleep, I thought about combos day after day. And then it got warm enough in New York in April of 2008 that I used to go jogging with my daughters who were two and four at the time. Well, I would jog, they would sit in the jogging stroller. And we'd go around this track, we'd get to this park, we'd run up the hill, we'd get to this playground, and I'd get them out of the double jogging stroller, I'd push them on the swings push them down the slide, then they get back in and I jog home. That was my break. Well, it was May 31st, 2008. We got to the park, we ran up the hill, we get to the playground and I'm getting them out of the double jogging stroller and I look down and I see all over the playground, tons of cotton balls. And to this day, whenever I tell this story, I still get chills. So a thought had become a thing. And then it said in the secret that you can print out a check from the Gratitude Bank of the Universe on their website, which I did. And I put that check on my ceiling above my bed on June 1st, the next day of 2008. 
And I said, I don't know how, and I don't know why. But I do know that money is energy, and the same process that created cotton balls creates money. And so every morning I woke up and I looked at that check and I said, I know how and I know why. The amount I put on the check was multiples I've ever made in my life, many multiples. So I put that check up on my ceiling day after, and day after day I looked at it. And you may, as I described earlier, 2008 wasn't the best year in the stock market. I was working as a hedge fund manager at Citigroup and you know, barely got a bonus that year. 2009 was a better year. And I remember in January of 2010, my boss called me into a conference room. He said, Joel, you had a good year last year. And he slipped an envelope to me and I opened it up. And on the piece of paper was the amount within $1,000 of the check I had up on my ceiling for the last 18 months. I just got chills. And so again, a thought had become a thing. The secret had changed my life. Obviously, there was a lot of actions I took. Again, right? You have to take action. Like I didn't just stare at the check. I got out into the world and I managed a hedge fund managing hundreds of millions of dollars. But I had faith. I had a strong belief. I had a knowing. And the money came. Wow. I'm always curious to know because you had two young daughters. I'm not sure if you were or are married, but was that hard for your family, especially when in 2008 when the stock market wasn't doing well? I'm sure that maybe some fears come up. Like you've come out and you've had this beautiful story that you've shared, but were there any fears that you went through during that time that, well, maybe now looking back, you're really proud of that you've overcome? Absolutely. So marital status, I got divorced in December 2007. Okay. A month later, I start my first job where I get paid for performance. I was barely getting a salary, but the upside was almost unlimited. Yes, the downside was limited, I guess, because I wasn't going to get less than my salary, but I could get fired. And people did get fired in November of 2008. 25% of the workforce at Citigroup got laid off and four of my colleagues got laid off. So it was a possibility. That's the downside, getting fired. So I had a strong why to pay my child support for my daughters, who I love dearly. You know, having purpose is really critical. You know, I have a, a big purpose right now, right, to help at least 100,000 people become financially free. Then my purpose was my daughters. That drove me. But to answer your question, I actually talked about this, and I'm pretty sure most professional money managers will not talk about this, but there were times, not only in 2008, but in years after that, when I had my own hedge fund, that I was fearful. I didn't take action because I was fearful. There were times in 2014, when I was managing my own hedge fund, that I was losing money day after day. So there are some stocks I'm betting that are going to go up, other stocks that I'm betting are going to go down. It could have been like six days in a row that I should have flipped the portfolio, that the ones I was betting were going to go down all went up, and the ones I was betting that were going to go up all went down, day after day after day. And so I got fearful, and I stopped taking action. And what I talk to people about now is white-knuckling it. Like you feel like you have to take action to make something happen, where it's actually the reverse. You know, we talked a little bit about the secret. Uh, Hopefully your viewers and listeners know about Esther and Abraham uh, Hicks um, actually going to see Abraham this coming Saturday in, in Greenwich, Connecticut. They talk about vibration first, 
manifestation second. Feeling first. We feel like we have to do, do, do. Like, okay, if I have a million dollars, then I'll be happy. A friend of mine said recently, who's been here, graduated a year ago from an MBA program and hasn't gotten a job in a year. And she said to me, if I can just get that job, then I'll be happy. And I'm like, no, if you can just be happy, then you'll get the job. Vibration first, manifestation second. When I felt like I had to take all this massive action, and then when I pull back and say, wait a second, let's stop trying so hard. Right? When you stop trying so hard and you just let it flow, then it really comes in. Right? In 2009, when everyone was going crazy, markets up, down, the first three months, the market hit its low for that financial crisis on March 9th of 2009, and then it proceeded to go up very strongly, and no one was, professional money managers weren't positioned for a rebound, and then it went back down and up, all this craziness, I was calm, because I had a knowing that ultimately, at some point, I was going to make all that money that was on that check on, on my ceiling. So it's getting in the flow and feeling the feeling as if it's already happened. Wayne Dyer, in his book, Wishes Fulfilled, said, make your future dream a present reality by assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And if you could feel the feeling of the manifestation before it happens, see, I had a knowing and I was so excited and ecstatic that I was going to be able to do all these things for my daughters. I could fully fund their kids' college education. I saw it fully funded. I saw the trust set up. I saw that I could buy my parents a condo in Florida. You know, I saw all these things before they happened and then they did. But I had the feeling, wow, this, you know, I remember being in the shower one morning and being so ecstatic, like it's coming. I know it's coming. I don't know when, like I would have been ecstatic if it happened in 2019, right? 10 years later, because it was a large amount of money. It was like awesome, right? So like, it doesn't matter if, Bettina, how would you feel if $5 million came into you tomorrow, right? Or 10 years from now, it doesn't matter, right? It's just incredibly awesome. So feeling that feeling before it happens, like, okay, you know, I'm single now, but you know, knowing that I'm going to meet somebody, feeling the feeling, it doesn't matter if it happens tomorrow or next year or five years from now, but knowing that, you know, I'm going to be with another person who's, you know, we're both raising the vibe of the world. That's awesome. So for me, it doesn't matter. And that's one thing I wanted to point out too, especially in our culture, we're so used to having things like like that. But often I find that's the struggle. You said it so beautifully, especially in we have a lot of female listeners. We have moms and we have people that are single. But often I'll hear women say, I'm manifesting. I know this person's going to come, but they're getting impatient. And the vibration is is just a little bit confused. It's almost like they're trying to trust, but they're not fully trusting. And we can't control time. And we just have to trust and be on our journey. And I, I think you just said it so beautifully. And it doesn't matter if it happens tomorrow. It doesn't happen if it happens 10 years from now. But you're trusting in that process of the journey and your evolution as an individual. Why is the doubt right? Have faith in your dreams and desires, right? So why, when we start getting doubt, do we have faith in the doubt? Doubt the doubt. The doubt's not right. Your dreams and desires are what 
and your purpose is what you hear. So doubt the doubt. I wanted to go back because you said the website that you printed that it was at the gratitude bank that you said that you printed that check from. So why is happiness and gratitude important for our financial plans? Gratitude is rule number five in my upcoming book, The Nine Money Rules That Millionaires Use. Think about it. You're grateful generally when something has already happened that you're grateful for, right? So something good happened and you're grateful. And that changes your vibration. It changes your energy, changes your feelings and emotions. So if you can be grateful now, what you want to happen, it's kind of like what Wayne Dyer said, right? You're feeling the feeling of the wish fulfilled. That's why gratitude is so important. So I recommend, and I've been doing this since 2012, it's writing down what you're grateful for every morning and every night. And I write down five things and, and it doesn't have to be different things. It doesn't have to be massive, huge things. I almost every day I write down, I'm grateful for Lauren and Morgan. But it could be at the end of the day, you had a rotten day. It didn't go as well as you thought or wanted. And you could just say, you know, I'm grateful this day is over. It can be very simple things like being grateful it's a sunny day or being grateful that it's a snowy day or a rainy day because the weather shouldn't determine your feelings or emotions or how you're vibrating. That gratitude is one of the highest levels of vibration. I I would say... If it's not the highest, along with joy and happiness, it's pretty high up there. So that's gratitude. Happiness. So here's my story from August 2015. I'm managing my own hedge fund. And I took two weeks off for the first time in the time I was managing money from 2008. One week I took with my daughters and we went to different amusement parks. I was present with them. I wasn't you know, on my phone, checking the stock prices. I focused on being present with them and enjoying the, you know, Hershey Park and all the different amusement parks we went to that week. And then the other week, I was with a buddy of mine in Croatia. He's also a money manager, and he may be the most calm money manager I know. And things were getting a little hectic towards the end of the week. And we didn't check. We kind of had a vow that we weren't going to be watching the market. We were going to be present and enjoying the nature and the, the natural beauty and the man-made beauty and, and just enjoying our time. So that month, August 2015, the stock market was down 6.8%, almost 7% in a month. That doesn't happen too often. And my hedge fund was up 1.5%. And I truly believe because I was happy I was enjoying myself. I had taken two weeks off and was focused on being happy that we had our best relative month of the whole time I was managing money. I focused on that from the month before. So I tell the story in in Mindful Money Management about July 2015. I go into it even further in this upcoming book and going behind the scenes, the things I didn't feel comfortable disclosing in my first book, I feel a little bit more comfortable disclosing. So July 2015, July 1st, I was invested in a company betting that it was going to go down and it went up 30%. It got acquired. And I was sick to my stomach. I literally had tears in my eyes on the train, the Metro North train on the way into the city that day, because I was so upset that I was losing money for my investors. 
And I really put in practice starting that day a lot of happy habits. It didn't work for a while. And again, you know, I'm human. I didn't see any immediate results in the days and weeks ahead. I was losing money for days after that. But I put in happy habits for myself. I listened to uplifting songs. I was started meditating religiously every day for at least 15 minutes. I was visualizing. I was doing things that enjoyed doing. I, I found something every day to do specifically that I really loved doing. And then August happened. So it wasn't like it happens immediately. You know, I, I knew that, you know, the vacation was helpful, but all the things I did in July set up my August and the future months after that. And so I truly believe that if you can be vibrating at some of the highest levels like gratitude and happiness, that what you want will come into you after that. It's not, okay, if I get the new job, then I'm going to be happy. If I get the new wife or husband, I'm, then I'm going to be happy. No, it's the journey. Enjoy the journey on the way to the, the end result. Actually, there's no end. Once you get the new husband or wife, or you once you get the new job, you'll want more. You'll want to travel to you know, Switzerland, or you want to travel to this place. It doesn't ever end. So just enjoy the journey. If you can enjoy the journey, then your life is magical. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on too, because often people think that having a million dollars is what's going to make them happy. I know today's theme was talking about finances and, and you work with large sums of money, but financial freedom doesn't necessarily look like a million dollars for everyone, or maybe I'm wrong. You're absolutely right, Bettina. So First of all, let me be clear. I used to manage large amounts of money. I don't manage anyone's money now. So just I don't sell insurance or annuities or mutual funds, any of that. All I do is teach. I get confused with financial advisors and financial planners because not a lot of people, I don't know if there's anyone actually doing what I do, which is just teach. I'm there for my clients. I'm not trying to sell them insurance or annuities or funds or stocks or anything. I want to empower them to know and believe that they can do what they want. So my second part of my prosperity coaching module is all about what you just talked about is vibration first, manifestation second. It's using your intuition. Look, it's okay to have money. Like a lot of people who are spiritual, and this is one of a part of my financial freedom survey, I've actually had people say, I have, do you believe this, right? And then I have four statements. One of them is lucrative opportunities always come my way or money is, comes easily and frequently. But one of them is you can be spiritual and rich. And some people have actually said, no, you can't. And that is a massive limiting belief. Money is evil. The love of money is evil, potentially. I mean, greed could be. I think it's actually okay to love money if you then put it out into the world right? Giving is my rule number six, right? So rule number six, if I, so I actually say that if you give your money away, you actually will be financially free quicker. Money's just energy. You're putting it out into the world. It must flow back to you. You can be spiritual and rich. And, and look, the one thing I really harp on with my clients is you can't help others by being destitute. If you have $25 billion and you're giving two and a half or $3 million, 
my goal is to feed a town in Africa for the next generation. That's a goal. And when I get to my monetary goal, I can do that. But if, if I'm destitute, I can't do that. If you're destitute, you're not serving the world, right? You can't serve the world by sitting on a street corner homeless and begging for money. That is not serving the world. You can give a huge amount. I mean, there are people say, you know, I mean, Warren Buffett started or someone he's part of it, the 99% club. So he's giving away 99% of his money, right? So you can cure cancer or heart disease or any of the other ailments that are out there if you have money. You can't do that if you're destitute. So it's good to be rich. And I teach my clients, it's good to be rich. And I know some people will say being rich, that there's a stigma. So, okay, it's good to be financially free. Say that. It's good to be financially free. I go to a lot of movies with my daughters and a lot of them have to do with money. The whole Robin Hood theme of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. You see it in TV shows and movies, but the point is that if you go to a movie, a lot of the times the rich people are characterized as evil or greedy. And so you're getting taught, programmed that by media. So you need to be trained differently to know that you were born abundant and prosperous and rich, and then you were taught from zero to 10, and maybe even to this day, that you're not, but you are, right? You were born to be abundant and prosperous. You're not serving anyone if you're not. Well, I really want to give our listeners something genius to take away, because I know you have so much going on in here. That's so genius. Um, Is there an exercise or a process that has helped your clients that would benefit our listeners? I think the belief one is is really important. So write down your level of belief from one to 10. It can be investments, but it could be anything, right? So you have this idea, you have this new business idea. You know, try to meditate on it. And on a scale of one to 10, write down where do you see your belief level? Because 10 is a knowing, an absolute faith, it's happening. And one is massive doubt. And if you're not a seven, eight, nine, or 10 on your investments or on your new business idea, I'm sorry, it's not happening. You got to get your belief up first. And your belief just comes from thoughts repeated over and over again. That's all a belief is. That's my big takeaway is really understanding your belief level. That's a beautiful one too. And, and I think about through my journey, I started Wonderful Soul, which is the core I guess the umbrella of where Soul Compass sits. And I started Wonderful Soul officially in 2014, but that belief or this seed was planted in 2012. And it's so funny because, you know, I had my parents questioning me. I had friends like, what are you, what are you doing? But I never once questioned it. It didn't matter what they thought. I just knew this is what... I needed to do and this is how I was going to serve people and you know it's changed it's taken different form through all of the years and it's costed me a lot of money (laughs) but now I've had to work through my relationship with my finances and abundance and through that process that was part of my self-discovery journey that I can see where that relationship starts changing which is really beautiful. 
So you doubted the doubt. I doubted the doubt. <laughs> Hashtag doubt the doubt. So tell me about your upcoming book and when is it coming out? So I don't have a date yet. We're currently working on the book cover and editing. I suspect it will be within the next three months. Awesome. And you'll be able to get it on Amazon along with my website. I didn't mention my website before, but it's Salamore, S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. Again, named after my daughters. You could also go to joelsolomon.com. For those of your listeners or viewers who are watching today, I'll give away five free copies of my existing book, Mindful Money Management. And I'm also going to give away 10 free prosperity coaching sessions. Wow. That is very, very generous of you, Joel. Thank you so much. We're going to get people writing in for sure. <laughs> and we'll put the details for that contest in the blog post or in the show notes. So you can check those out there and we'll run the contest maybe for a couple weeks. We'll put the date in, in the show notes and in the blog post. I love asking our guests, what are even one or two books that have changed your life? I think we've talked about them, but what are the top two books that have changed your life that you would recommend? Actually, I didn't mention the book that got me to the secret was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's the original book on the concepts of law of attraction. And it was written between 1918 and 1937 by Napoleon Hill. He was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie to observe the richest people around the globe and then come back with the attributes of those people. It's funny because I remember reading the first few pages to my oldest daughter, Lauren, when she was probably six. And she said, Dad, there's some energy in this book. It's really powerful. <laughs> it's like, wow, you're cool, Lauren. You're amazing. So she felt it in just the first few pages. It's a, it's, it's a book about, you know, all those characteristics, but it has these stories that give you this feeling that you can do anything, that there are no limits. So Think and Grow Rich would be one. I'd say Infinite Possibilities by Mike Dooley is to the first chapter is thoughts or things. Thoughts become things. And then he talks about emotions and beliefs and taking action. And it's all about exercises that you can do, which is awesome because a lot of times you get these spiritual books or these nonfiction books, but they don't actually give you action steps to take and and there's action steps throughout this book that are really powerful acting as if which i was doing even before i read infinite possibilities i was doing acting as if in 2012 into 2013 i, I recently read his book a few years ago he talks all about this it's pretty cool there was a lot of alignment i my signature when i first went, met mike in october of 2016 at a course he gave called playing the matrix he talked about chapter one of infinite possibilities and my signature from 2012 when i started my hedge fund at the bottom after my email and phone number and cell was thoughts are things 
and his first chapter, it's thoughts become things. The synchronicities between what you know, Mike and me are pretty interesting. So he started his career as an accountant and I started my career as an actuary. I don't know if, Bettina, you know the difference between an actuary and accountant. I have no clue. An actuary looks at his feet when he talks to you. An accountant looks at your feet when they talk to you. They say an accountant is an actuary with charisma. Got you. <laughs> we came from the same mold. So it was very interesting. A lot of synchronicities with Mike and myself. That's really beautiful. And it sounds like there's so many synchronicities between the two of you. Kindred souls. Yes. My last question for you is what words or mantra do you live by? Well, I'd have to take the, a quote from Napoleon Hill's uh, Think or Rich. Whatever the mind of man can conceive and bring himself to believe, he can achieve. So beautiful. Joel, if people want to connect with you, I know you've already shared your website. Where, where can they find you on social media? So you can go to solomore.com again. That's S-A-L-E-U-R-M-O-R.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, Joel Prosperity, Solomon, all one word. Facebook, on it's Solomore. And Twitter, it's Joel Solomon, nine. So any of those places. Amazing. Thank you so much, Joel, for joining us today and, and sharing your story and vulnerabilities and fears. I know it's not always easy to share those things. So I appreciate you just being authentically you. Uh, you're inspiring us all just by just by being you. Thanks, Bettina. Thanks so much for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. Amazing. Thanks so much, Joel. Okay. That's it for this week's episode. Remember, to stay inspired in between our episodes, you can head on over to Instagram and follow us at Your Soul Compass and at Wonderful Soul. For free meditations and mindfulness guides, you can head over to WonderfulSoul.com. And please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast player so you never miss an episode. And please, 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 if this content delighted you, leave us a note telling us on iTunes. I read every one of these personally, and your feedback really helps me grow the show and produce the type of content you find valuable. Thank you, you beautiful soul, for dedicating time to your self-discovery journey. Not only are you contributing to your own mental and emotional well-being, but you are contributing to a healthier, more harmonious world and raising the consciousness of our planet. You are amazing and beautiful, just as you are. Thank you for being part of our journey, and thank you for letting us become part of yours.